This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Ryan Russ. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Larry Sparks. And Larry, I am so excited about your brand new book that you did with Anna Warner, Accessing the Greater Glory. And I'm telling you, when I read the book, it really spoke to me. It really touched uh, a a great place in my heart because of being through the Brownsville Revival. You really sparked a lot of things in me that we need, not the Brownsville Revival, we don't need that. We need whatever God has for us for the next great move, right? Well, it's interesting because I didn't even plan on, on a publisher. I probably, I'm the publisher for Destiny Image. Um, so everybody was always like, Larry, do you have a book coming out? And I've done some books, but I had no intention of writing this book, let alone really writing anything for the next several years. But the Lord interrupted me. He interrupted us. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Me and my friend Anna Werner while we were in Israel with Sid. And Ryan, I, I just got to announce this to everybody who's listening right now. The Lord is at the door. I feel like Holy Spirit was saying He's at the door. Now, we obviously believe Jesus is coming back, but I really sense an urgency when it comes to, you know, this thing we call revival sometimes. You, you, you've been in this. We can talk very candidly. Sometimes people are like, it's coming. It's, it's coming. <laughs> and, 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 and there's a little bit of hype involved in there. But what I love about what Sid is pressing into, and we see it on the show, we see it in his heart, is that there's greater glory. And every time I hear Sid speak, he is anticipating, like, that day it's going to come. So I, I, I just want to share, like, this book, if anything, is, is something God interrupted us with. I believe it's a message not saying, this is what's coming one day, someday. It's, I just, I've got to announce it one more time. It's at the door, and I believe there are certain things. It's not like five secrets to this, the three keys to this. There are just certain simple things. When we do them, well, I feel it even now. Um, <laughs> when we talk about the glory. He just starts to manifest. So, yeah, Ryan, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I think a lot of people are ready for God to move like this. Me too. And Larry, in your book, uh, I, I really feel, and I'm not just saying this because you're a friend, but in your book, you really lay out the blueprint of how to encounter the glory of God. Now, again, I you know, I'll probably just say this for the last time, but being in the Brownsville Revival, you ache to be back in revival. You know, we don't focus on the past, of course, you know, and it's always interesting to me, Larry, when people say, well, we don't focus on the past revivals. Well, sir, you focus on your past mistakes all the time. So if we're going to focus on the past, let's at least focus on the good things that God did. But either way, what I'm trying to say is what I read in your book is the keys to what I saw, things that led up to the Brownsville Revival and different revivals that I've seen and read about. You literally give us a blueprint of how to experience that greater glory. You don't just talk about it. You guide us right in. So I'm really thankful for that. And a lot of this book, Larry, came out of what happened when we were together with Sid in Israel on the tour. Uh, however long it takes, could you just really express to the people at home, uh, of course, you don't have to go to Israel to experience the greater glory, but something happened to you on the tour. Yeah, well, and I, I, let me let me interject this because I literally have this in the book. And, you know, I'm, 30, I'm 35 years old. One of the things that my generation needs, 
I mean, not, it, it's not like a, a good idea. No, it needs to be connected with God's heart and the significance for Israel and the Jewish people. That is a teaching I'm so grateful for people like Sid and Dr. Michael Brown and others. Um, but my generation is largely unexposed to that. So uh, like you're saying, I would encourage everybody, if you can, in your life at some point, one of the keys I actually list to blessing Israel, because I believe Israel is a major part for us to step into the greater glory. I believe it's a vital thing for us to go there, and yes, to receive, but also to bless the land. There's something about going there and blessing what God is doing and his assignment for the Jewish people in Israel. But, but to your question, we were all having this amazing tour. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Ryan, when you, when you invited me to join it, I'm like, well, I wonder what I'm... I, 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 <laughs> I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do on this? And he's like, well, just come and just be in the glory. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we, it was fun that we got to, each each one of uh, the different leaders got to pastor, um, kind of be a ministry leader in the different buses. So that was fantastic. But the thing that got me is, number one, Israel is such a thin place. You know, they have that language, it's a thin place between heaven and earth, um, mainly because of God's sovereign assignment for it. But one morning while I was there, I, it was not a very spiritual morning. I was just waking up, and they would be, you remember, they were early morning. Yes. I'd get up, and I was just, I, I was not, I was on, like, social media. I was on Facebook. Not, nothing really spiritual. But I, I passed through, scrolled through a song um, on Revival. I couldn't even tell you what the song was. There was, a, there was a line, I couldn't even tell you what the line was. But there was something about Revival. And as soon as the, the singers sang that line, the lightning of God hit me. The, the light, the fire of God, whatever you want to call it, a weightiness of God where I didn't need faith to feel it. Like God came upon me as I was laying in bed. I got literally pushed out of the bed, fell onto the floor, didn't get hurt or anything, but I mean, God came upon me in a sovereign, weighty way. I was laying on the ground, shaking, trembling, feeling like I got plugged into a an electrical socket. It was glorious, but at the same time, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like what this this is very unexpected. I wasn't I wasn't praying, I wasn't fasting, I wasn't doing any of this kind of stuff. God just came upon me and then almost as quickly as he did that, it kind of lifted and I woke and I got up from all that. I'm like, God, what was the purpose of that? And he didn't really tell me. So I got up, went to breakfast, I came back. I think it was like our free day. I sat down and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit opened up the scriptures to me and I felt like he said in that encounter, you received a deposit. In that encounter, I released a measure of wisdom, not Larry's wisdom, because I don't have the ability to process this myself. I felt like I received some sort of Holy Spirit download, something sovereign from the Lord. I sat with the scriptures, and I, I started in First Chronicles 16, and I worked myself backwards. And this is what the Lord highlighted. One verse, I highlighted it in yellow here. First Chronicles 16, verse 37 says this, David, who we know is a man after God's own heart, he ministered to the Lord, he was a lover of the presence. And then you wonder, sometimes you look in the Old Testament, you look at per, uh, particular places in the scriptures, and you wonder, you ache, God, how is it that this person or this community experienced you like they did? And I felt like the Lord said, I'm going to answer that question for you. And right there in verse 37, 1 Chronicles 16, says that David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, before the presence, doing whatever needed to be done each day. I like that, doing whatever needed to be done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because that's, that's what he highlighted. He highlighted the fact that they served regularly before the presence. God was not their servant. God did, was not—they they were not wanting God to move on their terms the way they wanted him. You know, the, God was not their butler. 
He was not. <laughs> they served the presence of God, and I felt like, for, you know, it was about two or three hours. I sat there, studied the scriptures. That's what ended up coming out in the book, where he took me back to maybe three or four chapters in First Chronicles. I think back to chapter thirteen, beginning with the move of the ark when they moved the ark of the covenant, and he said. I felt like the Lord was highlighting that as a prophetic blueprint of how we are supposed to accommodate the presence of the Lord. Okay, so Larry, in the 21st century, we don't have the literal Ark of the Covenant. Uh, We have the presence within, of course. Uh, But what are some of the very first things that we need to start doing? Uh, We'll talk about corporately maybe a little later, but me as an individual, people that are listening, and I know Sid is real passionate about this, as the individual, how can the the, the average person experience the glory? Where is a good place to start? Now, you really lay this out thoroughly in the book, you and Anna, but in your heart, how do we begin to experience the glory for ourselves today? On a very practical level, and this is going to almost sound so, so overly simple, but I'm just going to share this because I feel like the Lord's on it. One of the things we need to do again is talk about the glory. We need to talk about God. I know it sounds like, are you sure, Larry, that sounds so simple? You know this, Ryan. When we actually start to talk about what God has done, now track with me for a minute, because you know what? I know people are like, oh, yeah, you know, Brownsville Revival or Toronto or Wales or Azusa Street. Those, those were great, but I want the new thing. Yes, we want the new thing. I'm thinking of Isaiah 43, where God says, you know, see, I'm doing a new thing. But right before he says, see, I'm doing a new thing, he lists in two verses what he had done in the past. I just want to announce right now, again, to our our, our listeners, one of the greatest ways to prepare or calibrate our hearts is to talk about what God has done. Talk about his miracles. Talk about the times where you've experienced his presence. In fact, i got to say this right now. Somebody who's listening, you're listening to me, and you're like, Larry, I have not felt the presence of God in a long time. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. I mean, that's, that's not the conversation. The conversation is, I have not felt the glory. And there might be other people out there. I'm sure there's quite a few who's like, I want to experience this. I want to encounter this. I want to engage God like this. And I feel like what the Lord is saying right now, he's saying, remember, oh, I feel the presence of the Lord on this. He's saying, remember, remember when I touched you in the past. And I know, Ryan, you and I deal with this all the time, where there is this fine line between living in the past and actually absorbing anointing from the past. <laughs> right. I'm saying right now, actually, there's anointing on memories of past encounters with God. He's saying, go back, because you look through page after page in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Psalms, and there's this constant invitation, the summons of God to remember, remember the acts of the Lord, remember the works of the Lord. That's not just to fill our brain with information. It's remember how he touched you. Remember the trembling. Remember the fire. Remember how he felt. Remember his nearness. The Lord's saying that right now to somebody very specifically. He's saying remember because there's actually still anointing. There's still presence on that. What will happen is you remember, wow, if God could touch me like that, if God is that real and God is that near and I can experience him that way, then I can do it again. Still, I feel like he's saying there's still an anointing. There's still presence. On those memories, I, I used to say all the time, we got to have expectation, expectation. And I don't know who corrected this. I think it was the Lord, but somebody was talking about there's a difference between expectation and anticipation. Because when we expect something, um, we actually put very defined parameters. We're saying, well, I'm expecting God to do this. And, you know, there's certain things we can expect God to do in the sense that he heals, he delivers, he saves. That, that's a no-brainer based on the scriptures. 
But I want to anticipate him in the sense that I have this strong anticipation that God right now, even for those of you who are listening, he is breaking out. He's touching people even now. I feel like it's almost like you're listening to our words. It's not anything I or Ryan have to say. It's just like, I feel like, Ryan, what we're sharing about when, when we or when Sid, like when I was in Israel, when Sid would talk about the glory, there was a groan inside of me. That mm. I want that. And it not yes. I felt like that groan was also satisfied because as we're talking about these things, and as we talk about what God has done and what God is doing, I, I believe there's ears who are listening and they're saying, wow, it's possible God does that. That means he can and will do it for me. So one of the most important things is just talk about what God has done. Remember what God has done. It's not just a quick process. I mean, it, it should be a meditation where maybe you just take that time. You know, we have quiet time, devotional time. Just take some time and remember. Go to your old journals. Go to old pl- places that contain the written record of what God has done in your life. And I believe the Lord is actually summoning you to that place. For those of you specifically where you feel a fire on this, you feel like, yeah, God, that's my assignment. Uh, there's still anointing on those past stories and testimonies of God touching you. So I, I hope, Ryan, that, that, I mean, just a way to get people going, I, I feel like that's a key place to start. No, I like that. And, and Jesus, of course, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm reading a book right now where I'm, I'm reading of the stories of people that came out of uh, Zion, the literal city in uh, Illinois. I'm reading about the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the healings that took place there. And they changed the world. And it's inspiring me just reading about somebody else's encounters with God. And so, you know, one of the reasons why Sid has so many interviews and and people on TV talking about the things of God is to uh, get you excited that you can have an experience. Same thing, right? Yes. No, that's that's very true. I mean, God is no respecter of persons. What he has done for one, he will do for the other. But just to give a little quick caveat... Um, sometimes we get so desperate for God, it's almost like, well, I saw God touch this person this way, and I really, really want that, and why isn't that happening? I just encourage you, God is such a personal God, and He touches people very differently, very personally, very uniquely. So again, don't expect necessarily God to do it this way or that way, but anticipate that God is alive, He is real, He is near, and He wants to touch you, He wants to rest upon you with power, and may every one of those testimonies and stories ignite and stir up that groan of hunger inside of you that's like, wow, that God, the God who, you know, touched Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and Alexander Dowie and Catherine Coleman, that same God can touch me as well. And Larry, I feel like there's people out there that are listening that are, that are thinking to themselves, I want my own encounter. I want to encounter the glory. I am tired of the way I've been living. I am tired of the way things have been going. I, I feel religious. I don't feel, I don't feel his presence. What would you tell that person? I, well, I, that, you know what? I've got to release that a very quick and very specific word as I was driving today, coming back to and getting ready for the interview. I felt like the Lord said this, and we can go a little bit more into this. Um, Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6 became a kind of big part in this book, but it is a huge part of my life and message right now, is I actually feel like, Ryan, as you said that, there are people, uh, wow, I feel the presence of the Lord right now, Mm. because I feel like Holy Spirit's highlighting this and His mercy and grace. Number one, there's people who are listening, and you feel like, God, I want to be hungry. There's this yearning. Lord, I want to yearn. 
I want to be hungry. I want to be thirsty. Why am I not? And the Lord says even now that the yearn or the desire to want me. Oh, man. The desire to want me, the desire to engage me, the desire to be hungry and thirsty, that's a sign, says the Lord. Shakatoba. I'm sorry, I'm praying, praying to the Holy Ghost. But Come on. He's saying that is actually a sign that I'm stirring. That's a sign that I'm doing something. Don't listen to the enemy. I'm talking to somebody very specifically where you're like, I feel, I, you know, I've been dry. I haven't heard God. I haven't experienced him, but I want to be hungry. That's a sign the Lord is moving. The devil is literally, it's, it's like he's at the door there trying to convince you. The devil is actually trembling over you right now because the sign of life, that sign of life is hunger. Hunger and thirst are actually physical signs of life. When you actually lose your hunger, that's a concerning thing. When you physically, naturally lose hunger. But the Lord is saying, if you desire to be hungry and desire to be thirsty, I'm the one actually stirring that up inside of you. Cultivate it, fan it. And again, just doing some of the things we're talking about. I don't want to, we don't want to lumber you with some sort of a yoke. We don't want to put some burden on you. Say, well, okay, you're hungry for God. Now you got to do this, that, and the other. Just think about what he's done for you in the past. Read the stories. Watch, you know, legitimate online videos you know go to honestly go to sidroth.org go, go to sid's past interviews listen to people who've encountered god that actually stirs up that hunger and thirst it fans into flame that desire for god and do not for a moment entertain the devil who's literally crouching there trying to tell you well you're not hungry yet you're not thirsty yet that's a lie because again the fact that you're feeling stirred i want to be hungry there's people with that specific quite you might have even prayed that to god I want to be hungry. I want to be thirsty. The Lord says that is a sign I am moving. That's a sign my spirit's moving in you. So good, Larry. And Sid likes to say, you know what? You need to get back to normal. Normal is defined by the Bible. And you talk a lot about that in the book. How do we begin to get back to what God defines as normal? Yeah, well, I'm going to say one thing, and this is not a popular message. This is not a message that's usually uh, celebrated. But I'm going to say this, and then we'll, I want to go into actually describing what normal Christianity looks like. And when I say this, listen, I'm not, I'm not some final authority on this. However, just to give people a context, I went and got my Master of Divinity from Regent University. I, I did that because I not only wanted to you know, experience God's presence and help other people get there— I wanted to have a track record. I wanted to know what God had done in history. I wanted to have a to be able to provide a theological apologetic for the move of God. Not that Holy Spirit needs me to defend him. He's perfectly capable. But the reality is I went, you know, some people say, "Well, I went to seminary and it was like going to cemetery." Uh, <laughs> I went to I went to seminary. My my advisor's name is Vincent Sinan, who is one of the premier Pentecostal historians of the 20th century, wrote a book called Century of the Holy Spirit, and it was literally in the context of that class um, where Holy Spirit, based on studying history and the scriptures, gave me a series of things as to what normal Christianity should look like. Because for the first 300 years of church history, folks, I mean, normal was a supernatural church. Um, there were things that happened throughout history. I don't have time to go into that. But, Ryan, the, the first thing I'm going to say that we need to do, okay, this is not us waiting for God to come down at some sovereignly appointed time. I believe we need to repent. I actually believe we need to repent for a little bit under 2,000 years where we've not been normal. It was never God removing the Holy Spirit from the earth. 
Okay? That is a false theology. That's not even a theology. That's a theory called cessation theory, that the Holy Spirit does not move in power anymore, that when the canon of the Scriptures was closed, basically when the Bible was put together, then there was no more need for the Holy Spirit to move with miracles, signs, and wonders, prophecy. That is a lie. You actually have to add that. You have to insert that into the Scriptures to make it valid. And obviously, <laughs> that's not something I want to do, just based on what John says in the book of Revelation. Anything we remove or add to the Scriptures, um, that's, that's, that's a terrifying thing. So all that to say, like, it was in the classroom where the Holy Spirit gave me this, but we need to repent as a church, as a people, saying, God, we're sorry. We repent. We turn away. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry or feeling bad. It's saying, we, we turn away from powerlessness. Are you, are you talking about on a corporate level or individual? Both. Both. There, there's something called, and we don't really teach it much anymore, identificational repentance, where, I mean, we see it constantly throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Ezra and Nehemiah, where we actually repent on behalf of decisions. I call them trades, where basically we said, we're going to trade the glory. And, and key leaders throughout church history have said, you know what? We don't want the glory anymore. We don't want the supernatural. We don't want the presence. We want to be popular. We want to be known. We want to be affluent. We want to have, you know, we want to be political. And I'm not talking about our 21st century culture. We could, we could see that, but it's throughout church history where those exchanges have been made where people intentionally said, we don't want the supernatural anymore, and instead we want the church to be this kind of organization, this community, this thing that has a high reputation, all that. I say all that to say this, Ryan. We are not waiting for God for some moment in history where it's like, all right, now it's time for the power to come back on. I believe when we turn away from powerlessness, we repent of that, we turn away from that, and actually step into everything the Bible says, as Sid so often says, the Bible is our standard for what should be normal. So let me just tell you a few things on what the Bible says about normal Christianity, because this is what, how we're supposed to function. I believe normal Christians are an advancing kingdom that demolish darkness and release the power of heaven on earth. I, I'm so tired of, like, spiritual warfare being some sort of, like, clean-up effort. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, well, the devil made a mess, so we got to go clean that up. We should be advancing. In fact, the word for church is ecclesia, which is not, you know, a building, which is not a tent or a temple. Um, it was actually a community of people who had legislating authority. And I'm talking about natural legislating authority in the political sphere. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. We, as people filled with the Holy Spirit, armed with the Word of God— we should not be trembling because of darkness. Darkness should be trembling because of us having presence in the earth. Yes. So it's an advancing kingdom. I believe normal Christians are this. Is this going to sound funny to people? It's a charismatic community that operates in signs, wonders, and miracles. This is not a denominational term. Some people are like, okay, Pentecostal, charismatic, isn't that a certain time type of Christianity? No. Charismatic actually comes from the Greek word charis or charismata, which means grace, gift which, again, first 300, 500 years of church history, it was normal. You know, right? It was normal when somebody got water baptized for them to come out of the water, speaking in tongues, yes. all the demons cast out of yes. them, and, and operating in the prophetic and the gifts of the Spirit. That was, that was normal, <laughs> and we've settled for something that's, like, substandard. So I just want to encourage you, we're not waiting for God to be like, okay, at this moment in history, in the year 2020 or 2025, I will restore this. Okay, I just want to communicate this very clearly. It's a matter of us that God, we're sorry that we've settled for um, <laughs> something that's not normal. 
We want to do what we can to accommodate. It goes back to that concept of accommodating God, accommodating the presence. God, what is normal according to the Bible? And I'm going to actually live by that. And I want to say right now, if we live by what he says, if we live by the model of Jesus, if we live by what it says in the scriptures, we will actually see the same results and fruits that they saw. But if we are living by some sort of substandard thing that we've created because, well, you know, we're just going to be this kind of community, we're going to be these kind of people who, you know, Christianity is a social club and all that, then we will not see those results. So anyway, what else are normal Christians? A spiritually hungry people who press in to access greater works and extraordinary miracles. I, I love that because Jesus said in John 14, 12, you'll do the same works that I've done. But what gets me is this language of greater. And I think of greater works, greater miracles. But that to me is also evidence that there's greater glory, because I believe there needs to be a greater demonstration of glory. Yes, for sure. And just to let the people know, some people read that or hear that, and they're like, okay, so we as people are going to do greater miracles? No. Jesus, the same one who did the miracles in the Gospels, he's the one doing the greater signs and wonders. He's the one doing the greater miracles in us, through us, through the Holy Spirit. So it is a continuation of the work of Messiah Jesus. It's just He's doing it in you, through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says those things are available, and we need to press into them. Finally, normal Christians, a people with—I love this—a people with a vision to see entire cities repent and regions transform yes. the power of God. Uh, you know, Ryan, when, when Jesus comes back, and listen, i got to just say this, because just like I was saying in my generation, again, 35 years old, I don't hear a lot of teaching about Israel, except from people, praise God, from Michael Brown, Sid Roth, those folks. I don't hear too much teaching about the second coming of Jesus. That needs to be proclaimed with boldness again, because he is coming again. I just got to make that very clear. Jesus, we can vote yes, we can vote no, we can try to change our theology. That doesn't stop Jesus from coming back. But when he comes back, Ryan, my prayer is this. I, I, I pray that we'd have souls to give him, but there's something that burns inside of me. Oh, Lord, I pray that we'd have some nations to give him. Yes. We'd have cities to give him. I pray that there'd be parts of culture that were impacted by people who carry greater glory, that they'd be, I don't know, when Jesus returns and he establishes that millennial kingdom in the earth, that there'd be a compatibility, that, that we would have these things to present to him when he returns. And the Bible makes it very clear. In the Old Testament, you look at Nineveh. Nineveh was a heathen, sinful, horrible city that God was going to wipe out. Jonah went in there, preached repentance. The whole city came to repentance. If that's possible under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, how much more should we anticipate, pray for, and press into these cities and regions impacted by the power of God today? So those are just a couple of things, but let them stir you. I, I, they stir me because I'm like, God, am I living normal right now? <laughs> I'm totally stirred. And, and let me let me ask you this. You mentioned something in the book that I'm uh, 45 years old. I grew up in church my entire life. It really ministered to me the way you talked about getting back to the altar. And for a lot of the people listening that may be on the younger side, they'd be like, oh, the altar, that sounds so old school. That's, But that's where things happen. The altar of God, uh, that's where we lay down our lives. That's where we get a fresh touch from God. Talk about the altar. Well, the th- I mean, that was probably the most significant revelation that I walked away from our Israel tri- trip with. 
Because, um, you know, we want to experience the greater glory. We, we, it, it is in our human nature. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just human nature to want like three steps, five keys. Okay, how do I get the greater glory? And I felt like day after day, person after person, experience after experience I had in Israel, there was one common denominator. It was Romans 12.1. Um, we become the altar. We become, and I'll explain a little bit about that, but Romans 12, 1 says this, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God or offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And here's the reality. When we give our whole lives to God, when we say yes to him, does that mean you have to be perfect? No. In your imperfection, in your struggles, in your issues— Offer up your life because he's the only one who can do anything about your struggles, sins, and issues. We give our lives. That's what, that's what takes place at the altar. It's a place of exchange where we lay down our lives, pick up his life. But you know what? Another thing about the altar that's not emphasized enough, altars are portals. I don't want to be like too out there with the language, but the reality is you go to Africa, you go to other nations. I'm talking about 21st century. There are altars in front of cities. There are altars in front of in front of towns. People would be like, "Oh, that's just you know, that's tribalism." That's no, no, no. There's an understanding in those places about the spirit realm, and I want to encourage you when we create our lives, when we say, "Lord, I'm I'm laying my life on the altar. I'm giving my life to you as a living sacrifice." Not only are you exchanging your life for the life of God, the life of Jesus, you're actually laying down your life, and that's a place where you actually experience the fire and the presence yes. of God. Because time after time, Ryan, and you saw this particularly in Brownsville, um, when people give their lives to God that way, I loved, I loved Steve Hill pleading night after night for people to give their lives to Jesus. And the reality is, correct me if I'm wrong, there are a lot of people who didn't know Jesus. There are a lot of people who had turned away from Jesus. There were a lot of people who had probably made a legitimate profession of faith at some point in their life, but they recognized, I have not given my everything. Exactly. And when you, when you do that, I'll tell you this, on the basis of Scripture, I love it because it says right here, and this is the New Living Translation, it says, let them be a living holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit on this just to let somebody know. When you give your life, in the midst of all your, 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 your stuff, your struggles, all that, in the middle of all that, when you give up your life, he finds that acceptable. When I say give up your life, I'm not talking about we're not dying. We're not physically dying. He actually needs living people, you know, people who inhale and exhale oxygen. He needs living people on the earth to carry his glory into every sphere that has been occupied by darkness. He needs you there, but he needs people. He needs vessels completely filled, carrying his glory. And guess what? When you give him your life, that is an acceptable sacrifice. And on the basis of the scripture, do you know what he does with an acceptable sacrifice? Fire falls on yes. acceptable sacrifices. Now, Larry, your brand new book you and Anna wrote together uh, it is it's powerful. It's wonderful. I enjoyed it from front to back. Accessing the Greater Glory. Talk about your book and what people are going to receive after they read the book. I, I believe the greatest takeaway will be this. Um, there's a lot of great practical keys in there. There's revelation. There's church history. There's prophetic words. I mean, it's, it's a smorgasbord, which is wonderful. And that's why I felt like there was a real assignment for me to write that with my friend Anna. Because, listen, while I was in Israel, her and I did a lot of ministry together. All of us were kind of in the trenches ministering together. But you were there. I saw—I mean, particularly with her, she's a dear friend. Um, I saw God touch her in such a powerful way, particularly when she had her water baptism, all that. And that's all in the book. 
Um, it's one of those things where I saw what it looked like for somebody to be completely wrecked and overwhelmed and uh, just engulfed by the glory of God. And that so provoked me. So her stories are in there, and I believe her testimonies will really provoke you. My goal, my job in this is to give practical teaching, theological foundation, um, you know, kind of some history, Holy Spirit activity, all that kind of stuff. I believe between that and the stories and testimonies that she shares, there's going to be something here that really you're going to walk away saying, God, I want this. That's my heart. It's available. I'm not waiting for one day, someday. I want it now, so I offer up my life. And you guys also did a CD set for us. You did one for us, Larry, very powerful. Anna did one. And it is literally a prophetic release of words that were given in Israel by Kenan Bridges, Kevin Zadai, Jenny Weaver, Diane Nutt, and many others, Anna Warner. And you're going to feel the prophetic release that comes from these words that were actually given during a Seder while we were all in Israel. And it is so powerful. You're going to enjoy this whole package, the book, Accessing the Greater Glory, the exclusive CD set. You're going to want to get a hold of this. It's it's really powerful. And if you know Sid, uh, at all, and I know you do, and you watch the shows and you listen to the interviews. And one of the greatest things on Sid's heart on a regular basis, other than the glory, his number one passion is the Jewish people and Jewish souls. And that is a major emphasis in this book, in this CD set. And uh, you have to you have to understand that the the role of Israel in the end times and the glory it's all weaves together. The, you can't leave Israel out of the greater glory because everything is tied in to what God is doing in and through the Jewish people. And Larry, you really bring this out in the book, and I loved it. Talk about in your words where Israel and the glory and, and what God's about to do all all kind of dovetail. I don't believe, and I say this very clearly, I say this without reservation, I do not believe as the Gentile community, I'm a Gentile, um, I don't believe we will be able to have a real picture of what the glory, the tangibility, the measurability um, of what the glory looks like unless we really connect our hearts with God's purpose and plan for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm not try- I mean, I say that because this is the foundational scripture the Lord gave me, Romans 9, when he talks about God's selection, his sovereign choosing of Israel. He says this, and this so gripped me. Um, they are the people of Israel, verse 4 chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. And it goes on and talks about how he made covenants with them. He gave them the law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him. But I love that. God revealed his glory to them. And I think sometimes, I've got to just go into this, because I think sometimes in our New Testament transition, what happens is, I mean, for a long time, there was just debate over, is it right for us to have praise and worship with instruments? Is it right for us to kind of do what we saw in the Psalms? And I I think that's such a defective way of thinking, because it's like, well, in the Psalms, they had all these instruments, but now we're in the New Testament. The reality is, there are things that actually pass through Old Covenant to New Covenant without changing. And one of the things that passed through and now has become available is the glory. The glory of God did not change. But the reality is we see the manifestation of the glory in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. We see these amazing demonstrations, particularly, and I have a little section in the book about this, because I believe when we carry the glory, when we, I feel like the Lord's saying, when we operate and function and look like Solomon's temple. Because when I was in Israel, it was amazing going to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. My, my heart was so gripped. 
for those who are praying there. Because this is what the Lord told me. He said, Larry, I, I, felt, I felt the love of God towards the people who are praying there. Part of me was kind of not shocked or confused, but perplexed, I guess, because, you know, you see people writing their prayer requests and putting them into the wall and that type of thing. And I'm like, God, how am I supposed to feel about this? And I felt the, the love, but the ache of God. Why? Do you know what those people are trying to connect with? This is the clarity he gave me. The Jewish people there are longing to connect with the presence. Mm. They're longing connect because they believe that that place is in the greatest proximity or closeness to the Holy of Holies. What does the Holy of Holies represent? The manifested presence of God. There is such a longing in their hearts for the presence of God. I love that. And here's the reality. The Lord said, we, you know, we, the church, we Gentile believers, we need to, like Sid always says, provoking the Jews to jealousy, but it's like we actually need to step out and start living like Solomon's temple, because what Solomon's temple, what what he experienced in the Old Testament, I believe we have that on an exceeded superior level. They had a building where when that building was dedicated, the glory and the fire came and says the priest couldn't stand to minister and all the people fell down. Um, all the people fell, fell to their knees because of the level of, I mean, I'm not talking about something you needed faith to feel. This was like they saw fire. They saw glory. They saw something. Why is it that, by and large, people are not seeing that today? There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing broken on God's end. I believe we need to get a vision for the glory and one of the most insidious lies of the devil, one of the greatest lies of the enemy today. Just like I was saying, you know, I'm in my 30s. I haven't had a, I haven't had a lot of people outside of Sid, Dr. Brown, and others talking to me about the significance of Israel and such. So a generation needs to be connected with the fact this is God's land. These are God's people, and it was to them God revealed and unveiled his glory that has not changed with the coming of the New Covenant or New Testament. The reality is the veil was torn. Now we have access to that, but I actually believe we learn what that looks like when we study people in the Old Testament who experienced and engaged the glory, because right there in Romans 9 says, they are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children, and I love it. God revealed his glory to them. So, Lord, show us what your glory looks like. And I believe he gives us that example right there in the Old Testament. And the worst thing is, I'll I'll kind of conclude this part with this, is that there are concentrated attacks, I believe, demonic in nature, trying to actually say, well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We don't need the Old Covenant anymore. Uh, Now, obviously, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Obviously, significant spiritual shifts have taken place. But when it comes to things like the glory, his glory has not changed. The good news is that it is accessible to whosoever would believe and apply the blood of Jesus Messiah to their hearts. Now they become that temple of glory, which is amazing. And Larry, in your book, you say, to the degree that we neglect heaven's agenda, I like that, for Israel and the Jewish community, we're actually prolonging outpouring and the second coming of King Jesus. I I believe that. I, I earnestly believe that because in order for us to see his purposes fulfilled in the Jewish community, we actually, and Israel, we need to recognize that God's agenda must be fulfilled. They must be exposed to the fact that glory is no longer in a building. Glory can live inside of you. But the reality is this. We need to be, let me put it this way, we need to be intentional about, and praise God for sin, evangelizing the Jewish community. We need to be intentional about this. 
is going and showing them, not just telling them, going and showing them a demonstration of the glory of God. Because I have no doubt what will happen is when we do that, when they see the manifest presence, the glory of God functioning in our lives, functioning in human vessels, they will want it. They'll be provoked to jealousy. They will turn to and receive Messiah Jesus. I believe when the Jewish community and ultimately Israel become progressively filled with glory because they are turning to the Lord, we are going to see demonstrations of the power of God that we have not seen since the days of Acts, perhaps ever, because I believe Israel as a community will be stepping into their destiny. And my prayers, God, as Gentiles, as those who love Israel, love the Jewish people, may we step up and actually be intentional about, uh, about communicating this. Now, speaking of stepping up, Larry, how, and in your book you really lay this out, how do we begin to participate or partner with God to help bring the Jewish people in, yes, but also uh, that the Jewish people can encounter the glory of God? Yeah. I, have, I just have a few things that the Lord gave me, very practical things. Number one, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's one of those things that's a biblical mandate, but it's one of those things, unfortunately, that's been neglected. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We actually make that a regular part of our prayer time. And, you know, unfortunately, that does not happen these days, not because people don't want to do it. It's just that it's not communicated on a wide level. Pray for the priests of Jerusalem. We pray for the turning of the Jewish people. I mean, we pray with intensity. It's so easy for us in the 21st century, a very consumeristic culture, where prayer is basically about what we get, and you know, we want to learn how God is going to meet all of our needs, bless us, heal us, deliver us, and that's fantastic. We want God to do that. But at the same time, what we need to do is be intentional about praying into and praying about the things that God cares about. That's my, I, want, I want that to be my first priority, and I believe he, his heart is so set on the turning individually and nationally of the Jewish people. So we pray for that specifically. I pray, I pray this. We pray for power encounters with the Jewish people. We pray that the Holy Spirit would engage these folks in supernatural power encounters. And the reality is this. Guess what? You and I might be the people who are called to be vessels who take those power encounters, to them, whether it's healing, whether it's prophetic words, the demonstration, the display of God's glory. I believe we need to pray for that. We need to pray for opportunities for us. Isn't that interesting what happens as we pray? Oh, God, would you do this for somebody? And then God's like, okay, tag, you're it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's, but be sensitive to that. Be sensitive for the Holy Spirit to speak to you about people in your life who who will need, who need that power encounter, and pray specifically, God, would you bring me across my Jewish brothers and sisters who need to know that Jesus is Messiah, and show them that through a power encounter. And finally, I said this earlier, we need, I, I believe every believer should try to travel to the land of Israel. No, it's not some sort of mandated law thing, but I do believe I mean, I, I've gone twice, I'm going again next year, and it's one of those things where I could go a million times, and every time the Lord reveals and unveils something new and different. And when you're there, not only do you receive, you receive great revelation, and it's a wonderful place where you can really feel experientially the power of God, presence of God, but I believe we go there to physically bless the land as well. We say, God, this is your land. God, there's an assignment for this land. God this is where Jesus will literally physically return to planet Earth on the Mount of Olives. There is a significance and there's a specialness about this land. So that's one of the reasons I believe it's a key thing for us. It reminds us, Ryan, 
how real it is. Like particularly oh, yeah. the Mount of Mount of Olives. I'm like, wow, this is where Jesus will visibly, physically return one day. It's a real place, a real man coming out of the real sky, a real savior sitting down on a real mountain. Um, so, anyhow, those are just a few things. So, Larry, tell tell the people at home a little more about your book, why you wrote it, and a part of the reason, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you wrote the book was it came out of a divine encounter in Israel. I mean, what a way to write a book. You know, you and Anna both experienced the, the, the strong presence of God in Israel, but what are the people at home going to receive? What are they going to feel? What are they going to be inspired to do after they read this book? I actually believe God's going to fall on people. I feel that even now, as people are listening to this, I'm not, I don't believe in hyping things. I'm a very cerebral type of person. I'm not going to try to make something up if something's not happening. So please understand that. I just really sense we are in a time and a season where God is at the door. And again, yes, Jesus is coming back, but I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, these things we call revival or awakenings or outpourings, we see them throughout 2,000 years of church history. They're not necessarily these sovereign things that just God chooses to happen every so often. I believe you can experience personal revival, personal outpouring, not by waiting for something, but when you—I pray, my prayer is that you would read words that were not written just to to dazzle and inform you. That's not my objective. That's not Anna's objective. You'd read those, and I pray that they'd be burning words. I pray that they'd they'd have fire on them, that you'd read and say, God, I want this. And by the end of the book, I pray, (laughs) I feel the Holy Spirit on this as well. I pray that the book would make you feel like, God, I want this and I can have it. Yes. I want to experience you this way, and I'm convinced you will read that. You'll understand maybe why we're not seeing the demonstration and manifestation of God's glory today. And again, it has nothing to do with something broken on God's end. And again, it's not, make, it's not, not meant to make us feel guilty or shameful either, like, oh, there's something really broken on our end. It's just a matter of, God, it's available. It was lost. You, you are restoring it, and I have the ability, like right now, even as you're listening to Ryan and I, you have the ability to say, Lord, I offer up my life the best I know how. I, I repent of my sin. I repent of unbelief. I repent of just doing life my own way. And I ask you, Lord, as I give my life to be a living sacrifice, as I give my life completely to God, and I say yes to whatever you want to do in me, through me, I ask, wow, that your fire would fall even now. That is my prayer as you read this book, as you listen through these CDs. You know, last thing, Ryan, is I had this vision while I was there in Israel, kind of leading up to the supernatural Passover Seder we had the, the, one of the last nights. And I had this vision of God just opening up the roof and falling on people mm. in a powerful way, like almost like blowing through that place like a hurricane. And, you know, I, I, I want to encourage the people, the third CD on this CD set are all these prayers that were literally birthed in that supernatural Passover Seder out of that atmosphere as all the leaders were lined up and to literally pray, prophesy, and impart out of that atmosphere of glory. And while we were doing that, I was just waiting. I was totally transparent. I was waiting for that to happen. I was waiting as, as each person prayed, and it was intense. You felt that heavy glory. It was not like, well, nothing's happening. Something was happening, and I kept looking, God, is the roof going to really come up? Is this hurricane of God's presence going to come in? And you saw people getting—people were getting noticeably, visibly touched, but it wasn't what I envisioned. It wasn't what I saw in the Spirit. And I'm like, God, what happened? Was there something wrong or broken? He said, no. I, just in this last break, I felt like the Lord said, I'm going to complete the work that I started there. Wow. I'm going to complete what I started that night at that Passover Seder. And I want to encourage you as you listen to those prayers, just receive them. And again, give your life 
Lord, the best I know how, to you and your service. May I be an acceptable sacrifice. And I recognize this, God. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for somebody to come lay hands on me. And I believe in the laying on of hands. I'm not waiting for a revival service, although I believe in those. I'm not waiting for something. God, I offer up my life. And just like you filled Solomon's temple, wow, would you fill me? I believe, Ryan, that even now— Go ahead. Pray for the people that are listening. I feel the glory even now. Father, right now we just pray that. And I pray it again. We can pray that every single day. Lord, may I be like Solomon's temple, because Paul makes it very clear. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He does not live in a tent anymore. He doesn't live in a box anymore. He doesn't live in a building anymore. We meet in buildings, and that's great. But God lives in you, and the reality is this. Oftentimes, we're waiting for something to come out of heaven, but the Lord says to you even now, no, one man will come out of heaven. There's one yet to come out of heaven, and it's not the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus, the Son of God, who will return to the Mount of Olives, who will split the sky and come back. Holy Spirit is already here with us. He came 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, and he is looking. He is searching for those who would say, I'm grateful, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of me, because we know that as believers. We know Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He's regenerated me. He took me from death to life. He is the guarantee that one day I'm going to heaven, and we're grateful for that. But my prayer is this. Even now, I feel the fire of God on this Holy Spirit rest upon us. May we be a resting place for the Holy Spirit. Would you rest on us, God? John G. Lake, Wigglesworth, Catherine Kuhlman, there was nothing special about them. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. John G. Lake was a, nor- a normal, everyday business guy, I believe, was a lawyer. Catherine Kuhlman, when you go through her history, she, she made her share of mistakes as well. These are normal people. The Lord says even now, those who are listening, you're normal people. But God loves to rest on normal people who give him their yes and give him their lives. So God, even now, fall how oh, on your people, Lord, as they're listening. Jesus' name. Amen. And you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest, Larry Sparks. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get this special resource. Did you know that heaven is waiting on you? We are entering such an exciting time in history where all of heaven is waiting to visit God's people with the greater glory. In their brand new exclusive book, Accessing the Greater Glory, Larry Sparks and Anna Werner teach how you can experience the glory of the Lord for yourself. I mean, right now. We have also made available a four-CD set, Glory Now, with teachings from myself, Larry Sparks, and Anna Werner, and how you can be front and center stage for the greatest move of God's Spirit in history called The Greater Glory. And on the fourth CD, you're going to hear the most powerful prophetic words of impartation that were released from my guests that were on my recent tour to Israel for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Larry Sparks and Anna Werner's brand new exclusive book, Accessing the Greater Glory, an exclusive four-CD set, Glory Now. Offer a number 9630 for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9630. Once again, that's offer number 
9630.